Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. Week number three of a series that we have titled Love Where You Live, The Art of Neighboring. And I love to really share about this because um, I have personally experienced the power of, of um, being a good neighbor and also the power of having good neighbors. Like they can really make a difference in, in someone's life. In fact, my, my entire life and my eternity was changed because someone made the effort to sacrificially invest into me to take me into their home um, and, and, and really make that sacrifice in, in, in what a way we would call being a good neighbor, really. Um, but being a good neighbor is actually one of the most powerful things that you can do to make a difference in somebody's life. And not only that, but it's so important in order for you to live this abundant life that God is calling you to live. Like, the, in fact... Um, there's a story in Luke chapter 10 that, that Jesus is talking and he just got done teaching on this story of the Good Samaritan and, um, and, and, or he's about to start teaching on the story of the Good Samaritan but there's some discourse, some dialogue going back and forth and, some, and somebody stands up. He said, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? Um, how do you read it? And the the man said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And what he's talking about is if you'll you'll do these things, if you'll love God with everything that you are, and you'll, you'll intentionally invest yourself into being a good neighbor to the people around you, to being a good, um, a good neighbor to them, Jesus said, you'll, you'll start to step into this abundant life that God has promised us if we'll do the things um, in life the way he says to do them. And so if we'll step into being a good neighbor, you're going to experience the benefits and the joy of an abundant life with God like you've never experienced before. And we think that's really important but you're also going to go on and make a difference in other people's lives. You're going to make an impact in the lives of the people around you. That their eternity could also be changed by you just maybe stepping out of your comfort zone. Or by you just maybe um, being a good neighbor because we've all had the bad neighbors, right? Like everybody in here has had a bad neighbor experience, I'm sure. But what about a good neighbor experience and how much that means to somebody? And so we're looking at that this week because God put you where he put you on purpose. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't think you should either. I think that every single step in your life is ordered and that there's a reason and there's a purpose behind every single thing. And you're meant to make a difference where you live. So if you live where you live on purpose, if that's, if that's happening and you're, you're on purpose um, it, and it's not a coincidence that you live where you live, then you should live purposefully while you're there. That you should live with intention while you're there. In week one of this series, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. We looked at what does it mean to be a good neighbor, some of the characteristics of that. Then last week, we looked at uh, cultivating community, that before we can change our community, we have to add value to our community. And we talked about how we can add value to people 
If you missed either of those messages, you can always go back and listen to them on demand on the website or on our podcast. I would encourage you guys to do that. And next week, we're going to be talking about the number one thing that stops us from being a good neighbor to those around us. And, and we identified this issue. This, this, it's like the number one issue that's going to stop you from being a good neighbor, but we're going to talk about how we can solve that as well. Uh, but this week, we're going to be talking, um, if you have your, uh, in that packet of papers on your chair, you should have message notes in there. This week, we're going to be talking about faith in action. And I'd encourage you guys to take notes today, because you, what you write down, you're going to retain. Um, so if you would, flip with me, turn with me, swipe with me, whatever kind of Bible you have. If you don't have a Bible, that is all right. It's going to be on the screens. And every uh, verse that we talk about today is also on your message notes. But flip over with me to James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And, and, and that says this. James here, uh, this is now, this is the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus. Um, the cool thing about James is that James, when Jesus was alive, James actually didn't believe that Jesus was the savior of humanity. Like he grew up with him, but yet he still didn't believe. Um, but after Jesus died and came back, James is now a believer and he's also the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So it's like one of the largest churches, uh, Christian churches um, around the area, uh, tons of people. And, uh, and James is now shepherding them. He's overseeing them, pastoring them. And so he writes this letter and James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if, if someone claims to have faith, but they have no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You know, there's a big difference between believing in something and acting upon something. You guys know that? That, that it really is the whole put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. Like, what do, what do people say? Talk is cheap, right? Talk is, talk is cheap. So, so I'm going to do something this morning, okay? Um, I've got $200 in my pocket right now, and this is what we're going to make happen. I'm going to tell you guys a story from the Bible about this guy named Abraham and how he demonstrated faith by obeying God. And what I'm, when I'm done telling the story, I'm just going to count to three. And the first person that raises their hand is going to get 200 bucks. Okay? It's no strings attached. That easy. So hang on to that. But um, there's, this, there's this story of this man in the Bible named Abraham. And he's, the, he's known as the father of the Jewish faith. He was, a, he was an old man um, that... that in, when we read about him, he's an old man that he followed God and God made him a promise that he was gonna give Abraham a son. And so late in life, uh, God finally gave Abraham and his wife Sarah this son and they named their son Isaac. And on uh, one day um, when Isaac had grown up a little bit, God made this very strange command to Abraham. God told Abraham to take Isaac up on top of the mountain and to sacrifice him to show his commitment to God, which seems very strange because the thing that he's promised Abraham, God's now asking Abraham to put an end to it. 
And Abraham believed God was good though. No matter what, no matter what the situation looks like, no matter what it sounds like, Abraham knew that God made a promise to him. So Abraham took Isaac up on this mountain. And of course, um, Abraham hadn't told Isaac, of course, like try to get your, you, you having trouble getting your kid to church on Sunday, try to get him up a mountain on Sunday if, you think they're, if they think they're gonna be sacrificed. So Abraham didn't tell them, tell them about that, the plan, but but once they got up there, Isaac was like, where's the sacrifice? And I can't imagine how awkward that conversation was, right? Like, so Abraham bound Isaac up. He tied him up, put him on the altar, and he raised his knife up. And as some of y'all are like, I've never read this story before, and this is horrible. It, it ends well, okay? As Abraham raises his knife up, and he's coming down, like in the motion of coming down, God stopped him. Right there, he said, wait a second. Nope, you did what I asked you to do. Uh, you've proven to me, in fact, verse, I think it's verse 15 in, in that story. Um, this is my paraphrase. God says, that's enough. You have, uh, I know that you trust me. You've proven that you trust me because you didn't even withhold your son from me. And because of, because of that, because of Abraham's trust and his obedience to God, he was blessed in a very special way that God made him the father of, of many nations, now, we can see that Abraham had faith in God. Why? Not because he said he had faith, but because he proved it through his actions. He proved it through what he did. He actually did what God was asking him to do. He didn't just talk about it. So one, two, three. Okay, here's the deal. You were fast, but I'm not gonna give you $200, okay? I know, I let you down. I was, I'm sorry, but I wanted to show you something. I wanted to show you this morning, talk is cheap. Talk is really cheap. In fact, some of you were probably skeptical of the whole situation before I even offered it because you found that to be true in life, that talk is cheap, that talk not backed up by action is meaningless. Nothing ever changes until somebody acts upon what they believe. What, Jeff, would it feel better if I told you that I really intended to give you that money today? No, of course not. It wouldn't make you feel better. You just show me the money, baby. Like, where is it at? But I can, t I can tell you all day that I really, really, really wanted to give you that money. But you're never going to measure me based on my intentions. You're going to judge me by my actions. That's the way it is in life. And right now, some of you are judging me pretty harshly. I can feel it. And it's okay, I'm not a liar, all right? I'm just trying to prove a point. But, but no one has ever changed their life by good intentions. And no one has ever changed someone else's life by, by good intentions. Good intentions never pulled a drowning person up out of the water. And I'm realizing that I sound really harsh right now, but I, it's actually, I'm hoarse, okay? So I'm usually not this like, Ugh, I'm not as, I, I get it, it's coming across. But, but here's the deal with your, with your faith. And when, when I say with your faith, what I mean is this, your Christianity, faith and Christianity, we're tying those together here. Your outspoken relationship with God. Here's the deal with your faith. And it's a big idea for today's uh, message that faith is not measured by intentions, it's measured by action. Faith is not measured by intentions, it's measured by action. And what James is saying in this passage that we read uh, uh, before is that faith without action is cheap. 
that he, he said, you're all, these people that he's writing to his church, he said, you're all talk, you never back it up. But I demonstrate my faith by my actions. Like you talk about it, yeah, but I'm gonna show it. And what I, what I want to do for you all this morning is I wanna move you from a place of believing that good intentions are good enough into a place of, of this realization for your life, for your friends' lives, for your family's lives, for your neighbor's lives, that they will only be changed when you start putting action to your faith. So this morning, for the rest of our time together, I wanna to give you three keys to putting your faith into action. Three keys here this morning. Starting in number one, the first key to putting your faith into action is you have to be carried by compassion. You have to be carried by compassion. You know, you can't begin to fix anything unless you're first moved by compassion. There's something in your heart that moves you and spurs you. Before you begin to improve the world around you, you have to first be moved by the brokenness of the world around you. That's what God says, that's, what, that's, that's our way. In fact, this is a truth that I found to be so, so crucial in my Christian life that, that I've learned to use my compassion as a compass. Let me, let me show you in the Bible. Psalm chapter 37, verse four says this, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. This is a, a very widely misinterpreted verse in the Bible. This is just a warning for you. This is, this is, here's what the verse is not saying. It's not saying follow Jesus and you're gonna have everything that your little heart desires. Like you got the BMW, you got the Tesla now, you're driving. That's not what the verse is saying. And too many people have misinterpreted this verse this way and they're extremely let down when, when something doesn't happen. But here's what it does mean. This verse means that when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you follow after God, he will place desires in your heart that will help guide you through life. Before you have a destination, God will start with a desire. So like if you're following Jesus, you can trust the fact of where your heart is moved and stirred and pointed because the Bible promises me that if, if I follow God, that he's gonna start putting things in my heart that he's gonna start doing things inside my heart that's gonna help guide me on my path in life and it'll direct you with the way to walk um, and, and what's next. And, and here's, here's what he'll do. He'll move your heart towards situations that he wants you to become involved in. He'll use compassion to do it. He'll move your heart. He'll point you towards certain things. A couple different places in the Bible, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion and then he acted upon it. See, Jesus' compassion was used as navigation for what God was wanting him to do next. The, the place where, where his heart was breaking was the place where God wanted him to get involved. And that's not just the case with Jesus. That's how God does it for, for you and for me too. You know, before Cassie and I ever decided to plant a church here in Esto County, our hearts were moved with compassion um, for this county in, 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 with a few things, a couple multiple situations that, and circumstances that kind of broke my heart that happened or some things that didn't happen in this community while we were looking on. And looking back, I can see where God was stirring our heart for this place because he had a work for us to do here. 
And so my, our hearts were pointed toward Estill County before we ever even decided this is, that we were wanting to plant a church here. And this is what I'll, I, I, I always teach when, we have a, when I have a discussion with somebody about um, their purpose in life or their destiny in life or whatever. I'll always tell them this, that your pain will help reveal your purpose. Like, where is your heart hurting for the world around you? And, and, and that's a clear indicator of what has God made you passionate and compassionate about that he wants you to take part in. Your pain is going to help reveal your purpose in life. The things that bother you the most are probably the places where you need to get most involved. So what does your heart hurt for? Chances are God wants to use that to show you where he wants you to step in. As a Christian, your heart should always be hurting for broken people. Like that's a non-negotiable of Christianity that our hearts are broken for the people that are lost, that are broken, that are hurting. Like that's God's heart towards people. And that's, that should be our heart as well. In fact, we started this church for broken people. We didn't start for, for perfect people. And I'm about to share a statement with you that, that we wrote down um, early 2020, uh, 2021. Um, it, and, and you can read it on this, that big blue banner in the comments as you come in the, the side door over here. Like you're, it, you can't miss it, right? Like there's this big blue banner. If you haven't stood there and read it all, I'd encourage you guys to do that. But um, this, is what, this is what we see. That, that This is the church that we saw ever before we planted the church that God would want to build through some of you. Here's what part of it reads. The church we see is not a presentation of perfect people but rather a hospital for the hurting, a bridge for the broken to find healing and a safe haven for the struggling. We exist for those that we haven't met yet and we passionately pursue those that are far from God. <coughs> Some of you was not created for the perfect. Some of you was created for the people that are messed up, that are hurting and their lives are far from God. And we're never gonna stop reaching out to them because God never stopped reaching out to us. So in order to accomplish that mission, our church needs to always be growing. It always needs to be becoming, uh, becoming better. That's why you still see us working on stuff. Um, even, even now, a year and a half after we planted, we're still working on, on making things better and changing and growing and becoming better and changing and growing and becoming better and changing and growing. <coughs> we refuse to become comfortable because comfortable becomes stagnant too quickly. <coughs> comfortable, comfortable so quickly becomes complacency. And we never want that to happen. And so as we reach, as we reach more people for Jesus, excuse me. <coughs> I'm so sorry. <coughs> as we reach more people for Jesus and our church grows and people continue to find God here, we run into some great opportunities that every season requires something new from us. And I don't know if you've noticed, but God's been doing something special here this year. So far this year, we've had uh, 20, over 20 families now visit us for the first time. And that's just the ones that have filled out the connection cards, uh, those blue connection cards. That's how we measure that. And we've had over 20 families visit us for the first time. And we've seen 22 people just this year, since January 1st, make decisions to follow Jesus. 22 people, that their eternities have been changed. 
And it's been amazing, and God is doing something really incredible here. And you've heard some vision from me in response to what God's doing and how we can better connect those people that are visiting, getting them plugged into church. And I wanted to share something with you this morning because I believe that you want, as much as I do, to continue to reach our communities and make the biggest uh, possible difference where we live. Right now, um, our biggest lid to our capacity to grow and serve people is in our Summit View kids. Like, they're an amazing team, incredible team. Not just saying that because my wife heads it up, but they're awesome. But um, they're amazing back there. They, they're very highly trained, and they do an amazing job with all of your kids. They serve their tails off to make sure that your kids have the most amazing experience possible, and they encounter Jesus on their level every single Sunday. And as a result of that, our kids' program is growing. Like, they, I don't know if you guys know this, but they have church back there at the same time we're having it up here. It's just more on their level back there. They do everything else, everything we do back there. But our church, um, it, our, our, kids, our kids' program is growing. In fact, um, in this year alone, our number of kids that we serve each week has gone up by almost 35%. Like we're serving 35% more kids today than we did on, on, on January 1st, which is pretty incredible. And the kids are loving it. They're absolutely loving it. We had a sweet kiddo get baptized last week. It was the most amazing experience. She got saved. She got baptized. Kids' lives are beginning to be changed back there in these rooms in ways that honestly you can't even imagine some of the, some of the conversations that I get to have um, and, and see what how their lives are being changed by God. And in fact, it, it's so amazing that sometimes I, I kind of want to just let somebody else preach here so I can go back there and have a good time with him. Like, <laughs> let my life be changed too, you know, and, and experience what they're experiencing. But here is what the challenge is, that as we continue to grow there, we want to make sure that we're serving all of those kids to the best of our ability and provide with uh, them Jesus on their level. We have to have a team, though, to support it. And, and we have a great team, an amazing team right now, but as the number of kids grow, our team members serving in those areas also needs to grow if we're gonna continue to reach those kids. And now I don't wanna give you any misconceptions. Like I said, team is amazing. Our church is, is, uh, is like, that's, that's gonna keep going. But here's the thing. Our church is never gonna be able to reach more people without us pulling up our bootstraps and serving in the areas that matter most. Those of you that call Summit View Church home, like I wanna encourage you guys, as we're reaching more people, we need to make sure that we're serving. We need to make sure that you're plugged in here. Make sure that, you, that you're contributing, that your faith is being put in action. And, and I've made a promise to you, we're not a needs-based ministry like um, we're a gifts-based gifts ministry. What that means is that we don't just ask you to serve in order to fill a need. I'm never going to ask you to serve just to fill a need. But here's what I'm going uh, to help you do. I want you to discover what you're called to. I want you to discover somewhere in your life that God is calling you to make a difference. Because there's people in this room right now that I know uh, for, for a fact that you're called to make a difference in kids' lives, you might just not know it yet. But I want you to trust your heart as your heart's moved with compassion. Maybe you're not called to kids, that is completely fine um, because not everybody is. Not everybody's called to kids' ministry. It is, you have to be a special person um, and I, you know, I love it. 
But maybe your heart's not called to that. You got to find where it is. You got to find where your heart is pointed, what you're called to do in this life. And so here's what I want to say. Don't feel pressured into serving back in the kids area because we have a need. This is not a need right now. We're just trying to prepare for the next season. Like if you don't serve, our kids program is still going to go on, but we're not going to grow and reach the potential of, of reaching this community like, like, we, like we can. And so don't feel, don't sign up to serve back there because you're wanting to step into some kind of a need in the church. I want people to serve back there that feel called to serve back there because otherwise you're gonna end up tired. You're gonna serve for three months. You're gonna end up tired. You're gonna end up burnout. Church is not gonna be fun for you anymore because you're dreading coming because you gotta deal with those heathen kids one more time. All right, come on, y'all know your kids, okay? Some of y'all are like, I love those heathens. Well, you're called to it, okay? But I want you to only, I want you to serve where you're called in this church. And if that's you, if you are called to the kids, you know I'm speaking to you right now. And, and let me tell you, there's no qualifications over this. Like, you just have to be led by compassion in your heart, and you've got to trust that God will equip you for the role. He'll do it. You don't have to have a Bible degree. You don't have to be a teacher. You just got to love kiddos. You got to love kiddos. You want to make a, an impact in their lives. And so... You know, you probably had a teacher or a coach or some adult in your life that, that really made an impact on you. I think we can all look back and see some adult that made an impact on us. You, you probably can't remember, like, if they ever, if they were a coach or a teacher, you, can't, you probably can't remember much of, like, what they taught you, lesson-wise. You can't probably pick out one, one moment and be like, I remember when they taught me this. But you can absolutely remember how they made you feel how they helped shape your life in some way. And you have the opportunity to be that someone for those kids back there. You have that opportunity that, that there is nothing more important in this church than the ministry that's happening back there. Like I would rather stop preaching than to close our kids down because it's, it's just so crucial. But you have the opportunity that you can speak in those kids' lives, that you can love them and you can have a place for them here that, that they're gonna remember you 20 years from now, not what you taught them, but how you treated them. They're gonna remember that. So if your heart is moved by compassion and you think that God might be calling you to serve on our kids' team, there's the card. There's a card. I don't, don't usually do this, but I felt led to do this this week, that there's a card that was in your packet on your seat. It's orange. It's hard to miss. If you feel like God is calling you to serve with the kids, that your heart is moved with compassion toward that area, take one of those cards, fill it out, let us reach out to you, Cassie said. You can tell them that I'll be in touch within one business day because <laughs> she can't wait to meet you. So um, fill out that card uh, and you can turn it in either in one of the black giving containers or you can turn it in at the blue table. Just whatever might work for you. Um, but take a moment right now if that's you, and fill that out and let us get you plugged into our kids team because I really believe that you'll start living your best life, that you'll start living the best years of your life when you start doing what God has called you to do. You never know really what this Christianity thing is like until you experience the joy that comes from serving others and making a difference in their life. But here's the important part. You gotta do something like in order to experience this life that God has for you. You may not serve in the kids, but you've got to do something. 
You've got to find some way to put your faith into action and you can trust that your heart is going to be moved toward it um, by the compassion that's stirring in your heart. So you've got to first be carried by compassion. Number two, you need to become what people need you to be. Become what people need, become what people need you to be. Now, I know this is different than a lot of what you hear in the world today. You don't hear a lot of, making of people making sacrifices to their own personal preference in order to serve someone else, but that's the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus says, you first, not me first, you first. And to lay down our own lives for the sake of someone else. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says it like this, starting in verse 22. Paul writes... Uh, the Apostle Paul, he writes, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. What Paul's saying here isn't change who you are, become a different person. What he's saying is make adjustments to connect with others around you. Make adjustments to your own life. Become all things to all people so that by all means you might win someone to Christ. You've got to become kind of like a chameleon. Like you, a chameleon can blend into whatever environment they find themselves in. If there's someone that you know that's, that's far from God and you're praying for them, maybe they like golfing. Well, maybe you should take up golfing because there's a great time that you can spend out there on the golf course with them. I mean, that game takes forever. Like, I'm horrible at it. But maybe you should take up golfing if you've got a friend that likes to golf and build that relationship. If you have someone that's a gamer, hey, I know some of y'all would be a big sacrifice, but maybe you need to start gaming. Maybe you need to start gaming with that person and build that relationship. If you know someone that's a heavy drinker, don't start going to the club with them, okay? That's just... That was a joke. You're welcome. It's, don't start going. You've got to draw the line somewhere, right? But, but here's what I am saying. Do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus. Become what, you, what people need you to be. Because there is a time when someone became what, what you needed them to be for you. So become what people in your life need you to be. Adjust yourself. Lay down your own personal preferences in order to reach them. And then finally, number three, number three, share what you possess. Share what you possess. You've heard me say it before. Your faith might be personal, but it cannot be private. Like if you're taking notes, that's a good thing to write down. Your faith might be personal, but it cannot be private. People's eternities actually depend on you coming out of your comfort zone. If, if, you knew, if you knew that someone's future would be completely set, let's say amazing retirement, paid off house, paid off cars, vehicles, never needing another thing, and all that you had to do was have one conversation with them that left you feeling a little uncomfortable, wouldn't you make that sacrifice? Wouldn't you have one uncomfortable conversation for the sake of setting someone else's future up for success? Absolutely you would. Wouldn't even have a second thought. 
because you know that the reward of their future is worth the discomfort in the moment. Now, how much more if you knew that someone's eternity in heaven was just one uncomfortable conversation away? If you really understood the significance of heaven, you would never hesitate again. It's worth getting outside of your comfort zone. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says this, how then can they call on the one who they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Meaning, how can they hear without someone sharing? I tell people all the time, listen, I'm not, I'm not the preacher. I'm the pastor. You're the preacher. That's what the Bible says, that you're called to share the good news just as much as I am. My job is to equip you to be able to share Jesus in your circle. But how can someone hear unless someone shares the good news with them? You've received it. You know what it's all about. And here's the best way to share it. You don't have to have a Bible degree. Just talk to them about what God has done for you. What has God done for you? Where were you? How did God intervene? And where are you today because of it? It's the easiest way. They can argue with your theology, but they can't argue with your changed life. Like share, share your life with them. What we call in the church our testimony. Share it with them. Because they'll never know unless somebody does. I've been married to Cassie for eight years now, a little over eight years, eight incredible years. I've, I've been good to her, probably two of them. She's been good to me all eight. But if I were to say, if me being married to her, if I were to say, I love you, but I'd like to keep our relationship private, I probably wouldn't be married for very long, <laughs> okay? Like, that probably, or... Um, or, you know what? Yeah, I, I'll go on a date with you once a week. Let's say, let's say Sunday morning, 11 a.m. All right. It'll last for about an hour and five minutes. But then when I leave, I'm not going to tell anybody about it. If my coworkers bring you up, I'm going to awkwardly remove myself from that situation. Listen, that's not a relationship. A relationship is somebody that I'm willing to go public with. We're about to have a baptism at the end of the experience. And the whole point about baptism is that you're publicly declaring that you've chosen to follow Jesus. You're taking that relationship public. It's no longer a private matter. When you give your life to Jesus, you cannot keep it private. People's lives depending on you, depend on you going public with your faith. You've got to be willing to become very public with other people about your relationship with Jesus and how it's changed your life. Because if they're introduced to the same God that you know, their life will change too. You have a gift that you've been given and you're meant to share it. So don't keep it to yourself. Share it. Because faith is not measured by intentions. Faith is measured by action. Well, thanks for joining us today. 
I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.